fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We do that. We are called the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. As you know, very excited about this episode because we are talking about a show with vampires, my favorite monster. I didn't, I don't think I knew that. You may have mentioned it before, but I do know you want to do a whole episode on vampires. That may be coming up in, in Halloween time. Halloween time is also known as October, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term. Uh, we are going to maybe do an episode on that. I'm excited about that. Uh, we're going to sharpen our stakes and talk about that. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, Dr. Denon. We have to talk to our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from today? Well, today I've taken a journey to my real ancestral home, uh, Brela in Wallachia. Is that? Are you serious? You are. Your family's from Brela? Yeah, my. Well, my. I don't know about Brela specifically, but my family is from Wallachia, which is today known as Romania. Wow. Do you think that they were part of the group that resisted the purge, the purge of humans by Dracula back then? I am sure that they were instrumental to the resistance to uh, Vlad. <laughs> I'm sure that they were. And I have a feeling, given the, the technical prowess of their progeny, and I'm talking about you here, Ben, I'm guessing they took a little peek inside of that gear-based castle we're going to talk about later on. But let's talk about this Castlevania itself. I, I just want to, really quickly, I love the Castlevania video game series. The second one, Castlevania II, Simon's Quest, was one of my favorites. Although I got stuck a few times to this day, I feel... Uh, I feel a sense of shame for not having gotten past a certain part in that. I always wanted to beat that game. This may give me the inspiration to go back. I've got a couple emulators. I may do that later on. I haven't quite decided yet. But I did have the small tiger handheld game that I liked. I beat that one, but that feels like child's play to the original Nintendo version. But, you know, we're talking about the anime series on Netflix. This is a Denon suggestion. Dennett, why did you want to do Castlevania? Well, I have to tell you, you've already mentioned it, but I was driven and really attracted to the gear-based technology of the castle. We'll get into it. We'll get into what it does. It's the sort of thing we've talked about before, but from a completely new angle. And also at its core, it's about scientists. And, you know, who doesn't want to do a show about scientists? <laughs> well, I know the three of us do, for sure. <laughs> right in our wheelhouse. So one of the things I want to talk about right off the bat, what I really liked about Castlevania, the series. First of all, I am not a huge anime fan, but up until, a uh, spoiler alert here, season three, episode nine, I was on board with Castlevania. <laughs> I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the, the idea of anime being their kind of adult, almost like graphic novels that are put to, you know, instead of turning a graphic novel into a live action movie, a real animated live action series. I really enjoyed it. And I think that they did a great job. Uh, and so that really appealed to me and it kind of turned me on to anime uh, until I got to, you know, two episodes before the finale. <laughs> now, now I'm done with anime. I'm over it, completely <laughs> over it. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. We got a couple more coming up. But one of the things that was great about this series is they talk about technology in the terms that, you know, the three of us talk about. What is the idea of magic? You know, magic being 
just significantly advanced technology. They really embrace that concept in this, and and they use vampires as kind of a repository for centuries of forgotten scientific knowledge, which kind of implies that there's been a rise, many rises and falls of civilization, uh, that there's, you know, things have been invented and then forgotten, kind of like the whole idea of Atlantis being this technologically advanced civilization that was kind of lost and destroyed, and we don't have any of that, you know, technology or information anymore, kind of that where that myth came from. I really like this, and I feel like this appealed to you guys. Ben, what did you think about that? Uh, I just thought it was a really interesting setting to see all the technology and and this both disdain but uh, reverence towards science by... It's interesting because, you know, you're, you think naturally Dracula's the bad guy, but... You know, as a man of science and as a respecter of scientists, it's hard to it's hard to feel bad for him. <laughs> that is one of the really cool parts of this of this series. And here's an interesting thing. So he has a, oh, in the first episode, you learn this. He has a wife, uh, Lisa Tavish, Dr. Lisa Tavish. She has real scientific knowledge. She goes to Dracula to learn real science, real medicine. I think she even prescribes penicillin or some kind of penicillin like thing at one point. She has a centrifuge. But then she's burned as a witch, which is interesting because when people were burned as a witch, you know, in, in our current timeline, in, our, <laughs> in the simulation that we're all living in. Uh, but, in, in, you know, in history, people were burned as a witch because they they believe to have been have gotten their magical powers from the devil. And in this, Lisa Tavish kind of does get her powers from the devil, from Dracula himself. And she's still burned as a witch, even though everything is completely helpful. It's medicine. Which tells you that if, you know, we traveled back in time, we would be executed and burned or, you know, hailed as demigods. I don't know which one it would be. Just but. don't take out your cell phone, Dan. That would really get <laughs> you in trouble. Right. A hey, quick side note. Have you guys seen the uh, there's this a couple of great articles where people have found cell phones in in ancient um uh, paintings have you guys heard about this <laughs> no but i'm not surprised any rectangle <laughs> in an ancient painting is probably getting declared to be a cell phone right now it's really funny I, I'm, I'm gonna find an article i'm gonna put it up on the website it's actually it's actually really funny uh, but you know and not only this do we talk about lisa tavish having this ability but carmela later on in season three talks about how her castle which to, which is located in what it seems like siberia i don't know it's extremely cold but they have pipes that are used and they use excess heat from the castle to heat the castle through the pipes. And she talks about how it's science that human beings forgot, uh, which is just kind of interesting. But let's transition into our first technology here, guys. You mentioned it, Denon. Let's pop right into it. This gear-based technology that exists inside the castle. And also, I want to mention there's gear-based technologies in the catacombs uh, that's underneath the first town that we that we show up in, that Trevor uh, meets Cypher and the other speakers, and, and where they meet A. Lucard. That's full of gear based technologies it's not often you know we deal with a lot of gadgets and gizmos here guys but it's not often that we deal with gear based technologies i love it uh Denon, let's talk about let's talk about the castle so the castle is really cool i mean obviously hopefully people will have watched the show because it's hard to talk about it without some spoiler alerts here um fair enough it has this whole gear based mechanism by which it moves now what's interesting to me is when I first heard about this, okay, I'm naive. I'm thinking, oh, the castle has wheels and an engine somehow, right? Like when it, we say it moves, it's going to be like 
on wheels that the gears drive. So the slightly crazy thing, of course, (laughs) is it's a gear-based technology that leads to random transporting instantaneously through space. So we've talked a lot in this show about alternate dimensions, you know, other types of transportation and teleportation. Um, And what's interesting is it's always driven by digital technology. And here you have a case where it's basically an analog system. And so it's an interesting question from a design point of view. What are the gears meant to be? Are they analog calculating to compute where you're going to go? Because people did make analog computers and calculating machines. Or is it the power source or exactly what it's doing? Um, This is all very much more kind of like the engineering design question. But it does mean why the castle's big. And I'd be curious what our engineer thinks of using gears instead of traditional digital circuitry. Well, I think what's most important is that the truest form of of truth is what controls that, which is the dodecahedron, the (laughs) 20-sided object, which we know (laughs) is the true truth in this world. No, I I think what's interesting is it's hard to say because it definitely seems like magic when this is happening, right? We we see uh, the speaker, uh, Cypher pulling the the castle through space and the castle's like fighting back somehow and everything's fighting and melting and all this so i think what maybe what's interesting is to think about the gears is maybe having some sort of purchase on like a you know another dimension or something that allows them to kind of locomote the castle through a different dimension and you know and of course the 20-sided object is what controls where you know that's how you control where you want to end up because that's that's the truth <laughs> <laughs> i like that and in what's great about this is it it kind of you know i think we've mentioned it uh, mentioned this on the show before the anti-kytheria mechanism which is this ancient greek gear-based computer that was essentially considered the height of technology. It, it could tell, it was, you know, an astrological device that was could tell you where all the positions of the, the moon, the stars, uh, not the stars, I'm sorry, the moon and the planets. And it was all through gears. It was extremely complex. And when I look at Dracula's castle, that's immediately what I, immediately what I think about. And they've set up this premise that it, you know, technology, you know, all this magic, because it seems like magic that he would be able to teleport with gears, but that it is this advanced technology. I, I really like that they've kind of set it up to be completely believable, and I think Ben did a great job explaining that. I think the other thing you might want to think about with the gear-based technology is connecting it back to things we've done from Rick and Morty. Maybe it's about doing a quantum calculation using the gears to get you into an alternate quantum universe where your castle just is somewhere else based on a measurement. Yeah, and, and we all know that uh, quantum relies on chance, and now it ties right back to that D20. The <laughs> <laughs> D20, D&D saves us all. So let's talk about one of my other favorite things in this. We got the castle out of the way. Simon Belmont, I wanted to say Simon throughout this entire series. It's Tre- I grew up with Simon Belmont. This is Trevor <laughs> Belmont, one of his ancient ancestors. And the Belmont Castle, which is, a, you know, as I mentioned, is a repository of, well, actually I mentioned Dracula being a repository of incredible scientific knowledge. The Belmont Castle is a repository for... It, vamp- vampiric knowledge so it's just kind of strange like that but in the basement is all this incredible l- lore and for in in and weapons and all this great stuff it's protected by this 
store that when they say a couple of symbols, when they say a couple of words over these symbols, it goes and ba it basically disappears. To me, it looks like this solid metal door goes from a solid to a gas. And one of the things I was wondering if the physics holds up on that, and and I believe because I believe that's called sublimation. And if that's true, is there any hard objects that could go from a solid to a gas? Uh, then I'm going to go with you first on this. So at its core, you're right. Sublimation exists. It's okay. You do get solids going to gases. Um, dry ice does this regularly. Um, and that's why you get the nice, cool smoke. Um, my problem always, it, whether it's you know in superhero movies or magical situations or other technology that looks like magic, I don't mind so much the door turning to gas per se. That's a good way to get in. But the gas will just quickly blow away and diffuse away. So how do you get the door back, I always wonder. I mean, are you re-solidifying the gas that's just there? Do you need the same gas? Because you're, you're presumably looking for a particular type of molecules that the door is made of when it's solid. Um, and the door probably wasn't just dry ice. <laughs> you could tell that when you looked at it. It was more solid. So how you don't lose the molecules and bring them back. It's always bringing the stuff back that seems to be the trouble, not making it go away. Well, I will say that gas to a solid is called deposition. Deposition, yeah. No, you can do it, but my comment is those molecules are long gone. So how do you get the right molecules to make your solid door again? Uh, right, right. Uh, are they long gone, though? I'm going to raise my eyebrow and pass it off to, to our enigmatic engineer. It's tough, probably. <laughs> I mean, one thing is that, you know, CO2, if it was, let's say the door was made out of dry ice, which would be kind of interesting, um, then you could use any, you know, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to um, re-solidify the door. And it wouldn't necessarily have to be um, carbon dioxide either. You could use uh, solid nitrogen exists, solid oxygen exists. Uh, solid oxygen is incredibly dangerous, but, <laughs> you know, so is everything else in this show. So right, maybe right. that's all right. <laughs> But right. so you could conceivably condense or depo you know use deposition to recreate this uh, door from um, typical gases. The problem is with like stone or metal; those things, you know, the, the expansion rate. Well, the expansion ratio on the gas is huge too. But where those molecules would go is really tricky, and they would be really, really hot <laughs> if they were if they were melting. So actually, I actually kind of like this dry ice idea or solid, solid, uh, typical gas idea, because it kind of seems like when the Minotaur creature is breaking in, that it's the magic that creates the strength, not necessarily the, the door itself. So perhaps it's like a really weak, you know, block of CO2 and it's really the magic that holds it together. Well, now when you say the magic, what do you mean? Like a force field would hold this thing in place? Yeah, there's, well, there's clearly a force field on it because right. the when the when the blind monster is like stabbing at it with his like a uh, pike, it, it's reflecting as if it's a force field, not a not a. Uh, it it doesn't seem the object itself is creating the strength. There seems to be some magic going on holding it in place. So would there be another way? Is there anything that we could maybe that would be str that would be you know phased as a solid and maybe with the addition of electricity or something like that uh, that would maybe look magical but not be magical? Would that do a phase shift and go from solid to a gas or solid to walk throughable? You know. You know, I just had I just had a brainstorm on this, Dan. Ben inspired me as he always does. <laughs> so I I imagine sort of a CO two like situation. 
So very cold. Cold reminds you of things that can be superconducting. So I don't know quite yet what elements I'd want to use, but you have the door. It's kept cold. We don't know what's circulating around it. So you can imagine it being kept cold with extra electromagnetic currents going through. So basically some sort of magnetism um, as the extra force helping you repel. We've talked a lot about electromagnetic forces being used. And then the final piece is what appears to be the magic to open it. It's just voice-activated commands of the computer system controlling the whole thing. Very advanced computer system that suddenly heats it up. And if it's not quite CO2, if it's a, a chemical you need to conserve, it actually gets sucked into the sides of the door opening through the secret vacuum holes we don't see um, so that the material can be reused um, and sprayed back out, refrozen with the electromagnetic current sent through it. So um, I'm just I'm just saying done. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. If I was, you know, Ben, you're, you're the one who's got, you know, ancestors in this part of the uh, part of the yeah. world. But I imagine if your family was building a secret underground lore lair, that would be the way to do it. You'd hire, you know, you'd hire the, the Denon door company to put one in. There's also, of course, the simple solution, which is just it's a smoke bomb and it's really stone. And it just gets pulled off to the side <laughs> and it's a magic trick. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm putting in Denon's door on this. Uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a great little contraption. All right. So we got the door nailed down. One of the other great things that, that appears throughout the series are these magic mirrors, you know, kind of like Cinderella-esque, although they're not like mirror, mirror on the wall with a personality or an AI that's going to tell you what the, what's going on in the world, but they themselves seem to have some level of intelligence even though they don't communicate back with you and there's two types of mirrors a mirror that will show you you know the like the carpathian hermit scrying mirror will show you what's going on in another place and time in the world and then they have transportation mirrors one that uh, isaac gets thrown through by dracula which is like a kind of like a portable hole that we talked about and these are all the basis of these are are mirror shards which can which can come together and fit into a box so these these are both kind of interesting. They're they're similar to things that we've done, but I think that they are um, very unique in this world. Denon, what do you think about these? Well, I do like the scrying mirrors are the easier ones. I mean, if we go back to the premise that this is technology that vampires have been developing over centuries and centuries of continuous knowledge building, right? We basically have scrying mirrors now to some extent, right? Look, we, we FaceTime people around the world. Um, and w you actually, you know, I, I had a, a nephew take control of my parents' camera and their computer so he could see what was going on and help fix it, right? So there's some remote scrying for you. It's a little little creepy, but a little true. The The sufficiently advanced technology looking like magic definitely is easy to understand for the scrying mirrors. Um, there's lots of ways you can imagine it. And who's to say the vampires, for instance, don't have their own satellite system right now at this point in, in time installed above the earth and are monitoring their humans? What better way to control the cattle that you, that you need to control? Um, the transporting ones are always a bit more problematic, as we've discussed many times, that the idea of actually transporting through portals is, is way more challenging to figure out how to control, whether it's a gravity-based thing or a quantum-based thing, the quantum mechanics or the gravity. So I really, I'm really favoring the scrying mirrors at this moment. No, I, I agree with you because I, I was thinking about, you know, them. We, we've got tablets that are very thin, screens that are very thin. They're getting more and more thin. It's not unreasonable to think that they would be as mirrors are pretty thick, but even a mirror like thin sheet of material that could be broken up. And, you know, 
if if we're looking through it, it is not. It, it's it is plausible to me that there could be other mirrors in other places, and these could be all connected through some kind of Wi-Fi. And maybe you can only look at areas that are basically under the control of a camera, a small little camera, or in the vicinity of another one of these scrying mirrors. I, I like what you're doing there, there, Denon. What do you think, Ben? I think there. It's just an interesting kind of remote viewer application where somehow these. You know, these objects are linked somehow. I mean, it could be like a quantum entanglement kind of thing, too, potentially, where, you know, the shards have, you know, some sort of entanglement response where the reflection on one causes the same uh, thing to appear on the other uh, side. I really like that, Ben. That's a that's an interesting twist on the whole remote viewing. I also kind of like the idea, there's that one mirror, Dan, uh, you'll have to help me with this because your memory of shows are better, uh, that the Forge Master gets that likes to be called Sir. Um, that mm-hmm. was awfully clo- close to Siri in my mind. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, And, yeah. and it, it did seem to read his thoughts. So there is a weird way in which there's a mental control. But as, as I don't want to put Ben on the spot, there's only so much he can say, but we are finally catching up to having our brains be able to connect to devices and control them. I'm sure the vampires with their century of, of practice had developed this sort of mental control of mirrors much sooner. Yeah, that, that certainly makes sense. I, I mean, we see all sorts of technology in science and the forge masters can kind of control their monsters. And, you know, I, I think there's lots of evidence of some sort of psychic or telekinetic power where, you know, these guys are able to at least communicate their intent non-verbally. I like the idea of Sir, them Kim clapping, saying Sir, that is like Siri. It is voice command. There, there is a level of, of, you know, mind reading in a way, but you kind of give away a lot of what you're looking for. And maybe they're just picking up on nonverbal clues or they're picking up on things. You know, look, when, when I talk about, I, I was talking about a mattress the other day and all of a sudden I'm getting ads for mattresses <laughs> in, in my email, right? Everyone tells me they're right. not listening to me, which is garbage. I don't believe it. So maybe the mirror is just listening, putting things together, connecting to the world and showing you what you want to see. And it looks like tele, uh, telepathic ability, but in fact... It's not. It's just Google. It could be. <laughs> I'm with you on that, Dan. Okay. All right. So we solved this. Google, the, the Google Carpathian scrying mirror uh, <laughs> back then. All right. Now let's talk about one of my favorite things. This is also a theme in the video games, which I thought was really interesting. And this is the Morningstar Whip. Uh, in the video games, one of the things you can always upgrade is your whip. You start out with a leather whip, and you can have a thorn whip, and then there's you know a chain whip, and and basically you're you're that's how you upgrade in the game. And each one is stronger, obviously. In this, he kind of finds this Morning Star whip. Now I'm going to tell you when I first saw this, and when I was watching it in the show, I thought to myself, these seem incredibly difficult to actually use. Are they functional? Did anyone actually ever use a Morningstar whip as a weapon? It turns out, yes, you can become very skilled. I'm gonna, I've got two great links. One is a, a group of people. Uh, it's, a, it's a YouTube show called That Works, and they build these, you know, kind of, they build uh, these kind of props from different shows, and they built a an amazing replica of this particular Castlevania Morningstar, which I thought was cool. And then I was watching a martial arts video of someone who had a real like chain whip and was just whipping it around. You look just like Trevor. So they are not impossible to use. You guys may have known that already, but I found that to be very interesting. I did not know that, Dan. I now have a new um, 
sort of hobby to think about during the pandemic. I can build and practice with a Morningstar whip. Um, <laughs> though I, I still, I'm much preferring my current approach to archery. Uh, much more fun. <laughs> well, I would say with the hat, I would you should probably go with a leather whip. But I would I think you would be pretty ba whipping around a chain whip, looking like Trevor. I can see you pulling that off too. Uh, now, one of the things that makes this so special in the show is, of course, the tip, which looks like a small little lantern, and when it touches and or. I don't know if it goes into the monsters, but when it touches the monsters, they explode. They basically bubble up like an acid has been put in them, and they just explode. Ben, I feel like you've got a great fix for this. Yeah, So, well, so two, two things. It, it seems like it has to, like, there's some sort of, like, blessing magic thing to get it into this mode, right? Because it starts, he hits it sometimes and nothing happens, and then it'll glow, and then it turns into the explosion thing, which to me is kind of interesting. But... What I what I immediately thought of is um, venoms, uh, like uh, like rattlesnakes and animals like that that have hemotoxic venoms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when these kinds of animals bite you, what happens is your blood immediately clots and expands because it's killing your blood cells and it's causing horrible reactions. And we know that um, vampires and these beasts that their magic kind of comes seems to come from their blood. So in my mind, what's happening is the, the there's some sort of venom going on on this thing where it gets into you, and because the because it's not only disrupting your circulatory system, but it's also disrupting your magic, it kind of like bubbles out and causes you to blow up. I, I love that. That makes me think of the brown recluse spider, which has a very specific venom that causes uh, necrotic destruction of skin cells. And in a way, you know, it's basically all of your skin cell, all of the cells in where the bite is, they slowly die off. And it's a chain reaction that sped up kind of weaponized would be a way to maybe not the explosion part, but definitely the dissolution, the dissolving of biological tissue at a rapid rate. I think you could work it with with poison and venom. I think it's a great idea. Well, that's the thing. When you get bit by like a rattlesnake. And you like get horrible swelling because your body tries to re- sends more blood in to try to like fix what's going on, and it just all ends up dying and coagulating, and you end up with these horrible swelling things that are full of dead blood, and that's <laughs> right. yeah, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> dead blood, necrotic tissue. What better yeah. way for a vampire hunter to kill a vampire? I guess it's <laughs> that's pretty just desserts, as they say. All right, last thing we've got here. This is a season three thing, and this is the infinite corridor. This we talked about similar things. This is in the show. It's a corridor that's invisible to the naked eye, but allows you to basically traverse around multiple different universes that all seem to be connected. There seems to be a connection to hell, uh, which is kind of an interesting look at: is hell another dimension, or is it a belief? Is it what is it exactly in the Castlevania world? It seems to be another world that you can get to through the infinite corridor. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Denon, I'm going to go to you first. Well, you know, the interesting thing for me, we, we looked at these things a lot, and I, I like the general tunnel shape. The idea that you're probably doing some sort of space-time wormhole thing, it, it's still one of those things we don't completely understand, but we haven't completely ruled out. So from a purely physics point of view, it's nice. I would say the weird thing from a physics and science point of view was, as far as I could tell, it looked like it had little side doors that would open up. And I was really trying to figure out what those were. Like the way it connected 
to the other worlds was was interesting um, and different than things I've seen portrayed in other kind of science fiction fantasy ways um, that just gives a different twist on if you were solving the general relativity equations of space-time for the structure of this wormhole, um, it would definitely get way more complex than anything we're currently sort of thinking about or looking at. So that was kind of my geeky physics reaction was, I also really like the rainbow colors. That was kind of fun, a nice creative twist. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, look, there's a lot of rainbows in in Shira as well. Some of their magic is is has a lot of rainbows in it. And I know you love Shira. Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe you just like rainbows. They're colorful. I do. I definitely love rainbows. Yeah, you like a you like a unit guy who likes unicorns. You know, I think they fart rainbows. Uh, ben, what did you think about this infinite corridor? I mean, I think it's really interesting as a different kind of way to solve the this you know quantum tr transportation, relativity transportation kind of thing. Like it's it's just another kind of place of you know bent space where you know maybe there's a huge gravity well in there that kind of sucks all these different points into these doorways that let you access all part all sorts of parts of the universe so i think i have a solve here denon i got a little gimmick infringement here so i'm going to ask your permission if i may bring foam into the conversation you certainly may dan i appreciate anyone bringing foam into the conversation <laughs> all right so follow me you're going to have to correct this is a novice talking about quantum space-time foam quantum foam so there is a, a theory of existence that says that we are basically our universe which is expanding into nothingness what if there were other universes that all connected together, kind of like the way bubble foam bubbles connect on a shower curtain, let's say, right? Like that. So that's a that that's a am I at least correct? You've so got far? a very good image there, Dan. You're going. Okay. Keep going. You're going Great. strong. Okay. So let's say where all of the bubbles connect, they don't intersect each other. the The universes don't collide. They don't open up into each other. But along where they're connected is almost if is is. If you were to make that into a tunnel, right, that's where I think where the infinite corridor is. It is walking the line that exists outside of each individual universe, walking the surface of the bubble where they connect to other bubbles. And there's a way to get inside of each bubble, ergo, a way to get into each little individual universe. That is how I envisioned the quanta, the infinite corridor working. What do you think about that? So, Dan, I'm very jealous right now. That That's amazing because it solves and explains the other aspect. If you spent any time staring at bubbles and soap films, you know they make rainbow colors. So this would explain <laughs> why the walls of the Infinite Corridor are rainbows. You've nailed it. The quantum Dude, foam. <laughs> quantum foam does it again i'm really i actually feel bad that i brought that up and you didn't um but part of me feels kind of good about it i'm not gonna lie no hey it was bound to happen in one of the many multi-universes we do the show <laughs> that's true <laughs> bound to happen all right so we have solved a lot of castlevania most of the technology in there now it is time for our errors additions and omissions section of the show here we talk about things that we want to discuss but we're not going to ben do you have anything on castlevania uh well i actually thought just one more thing i think the venom is blessed venom so it's like holy water mixed with rattlesnake venom <laughs> 
Oh, that's what's going on? Okay, all right. That's going to be your addition. The, uh, that's a fair. Hey, that's yeah. an addition, right? Air's addition to mission. I think you know you get a little you know a little blessing going, and now it's uh, you got the double whammy. <laughs> I love it. That's I, I think that's great. I want so uh, is that all that you have? I don't want to jump over you there, Ben. Is that yeah, that, yeah, and the penicillin thing too. I, I loved that that uh, kind of toss, you know, offhanded toss in the beginning with uh, with Dracula's wife, where you know she's giving this nice old lady the the mold and she's like mold what's up with that yeah yeah <laughs> i really like that it's a cool little nod uh then what did you have so i i got two quick things here dan one is i love the idea of the resurrected vampire priest blessing the water and killing all the other vampires like turning an entire river into holy water was just an awesome idea and, and a great irony right there the other one is it's just this general story of Dracula basically turning good because he falls in love with this woman who could like makes him help the humans. And then when we make the mistake of killing her because she does science, a, a, a brief, I mean, poor Entrapta, if she ended up in this world, right? You mentioned She-Ra, got to bring her back in. But <laughs> Dracula just goes so off the deep end. His solution is to wipe out every single human being. I find that maybe a bit of an overkill reaction, but he definitely has some strong emotional swings. Right, right. Anger management, for sure. He could use a couple of <laughs> courses in that. I, I, so you brought up a couple of great things here. I've got a list. I'm going to try to blast through these as fast as I can. But I, you mentioned a couple of things I got I to gotta add on here. This is the addition section. The Zombie Priest. I, I got to say, this, this show breaks a lot of conventions, some I love. I didn't like this one because he's, he's brought back from the dead, which would imply that he has been desecrated. There's a lot of connection to hell being the source of the, of the energy that brings these things back to life. Once that happens, once your connection to God is severed, you can't bless anything. That is true in, in any in all the mythology that I've ever heard with this. So the fact that he can positively bring God's power onto the water that can then destroy the evil vampires, I found this to be to be absolutely sacrilegious, if, if I may say so. I didn't love that. Uh, but I did think you would love the idea of her getting burned at the stake and Dracula going bananas. There's a lot of interesting religious stuff here that, that's kind of crazy, too. My things, really quickly... Cypher uses a lot of ice in her magic. Things that basically turn into a buzzsaw and slice beings in half. I'm not sure how sharp ice is, but I'd like to investigate that on a future episode. I like that Dracula's a good guy and that he's sympathetic. Uh, these are some of the conventions that they break on the show. Vampire lore. Dracula wants to destroy all humans, as you mentioned, Denon. But then what will they feed on? He, he's, I mean, that's how <laughs> suicidal that he is, is that he actually causes dissension in his rank of vampires because they want to eat. They're happy destroying humans and enslaving them. But to kill them all? That's crazy. That's nuts. Uh, you don't need any stakes to kill vampires. They can be killed with their head getting cut off. Godbrand is killed by a knife to the heart. Uh, um, and Isaac takes his self-flagellation whip and basically takes his head off, which is kind of crazy. Vampires also de don't seem particularly interested in feeding. They just really like to kill. You only see them feed a couple of times in this show. I love that humans and vampires seem to be able to... To, to make love they uh, make love between each other and physically they can fall in love they can also create vampire human hybrids which doesn't make any sense because aren't vampires human anyway that I never really understood that about Blade uh, like Blade was supposed to be a human vampire hybrid just like A. Lucard is but aren't they all just humans in some way uh, that kind of is very confusing to me uh, again I mentioned episode th season 3 episode 9 this turns into a real anime this show goes absolutely 
absolutely bananas. If you like things that are very surprising, there's nothing I can say that will spoil that episode for you because I don't even know what happened in it. Uh, and also, <laughs> Isaac stabs people and they become night creatures. And then he stabs people, and then they sometimes they just die. I don't understand that. The continuity is off the wall here. Nonetheless, I really enjoyed the first two seasons of Castlevania. I'm on the fence about season three, but a lot of great stuff in here. But if we've missed anything, if you think I'm full of it, and you want to set me straight on vampires, you can get in touch with the show. We're on social media. The show is at FGGBTPod on Twitter, at FGGBT on Facebook. Denon, where can people find you? So I'm Prof Denon Michael on Facebook. You stick the prof in there. But everywhere else, it's much easier. Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Denon Michael. You just reverse my name. Great. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at BSeepser. Ben, how do you spell that? It's a B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind, and on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn. Uh, we really had quite a task ahead of us here, guys, with Castlevania. Uh, when you're dealing with Dracula and you're dealing with vampire magic, it can get pretty dicey. You got to be careful with this knowledge. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Practice good responsibility with this stuff. Until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, FGGBT.com. That's FGGBT.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening